Good morning, everybody. Yes, we made it. Time change and all. We're glad you're here. I want to say good morning to many of you watching and listening online. We're so glad that you're joining us this morning. Uh, we're in week two out of our series called Promises out of the book of Haggai. And like I said last week, especially if you have a paper Bible, it may take a minute to find it. So start now. If it's virtual, you'll find it in a second. But we're going to be in Haggai chapter 2. There's one word that describes what God wants to communicate to us as a community today, and it is the word stuck. Ever been stuck before? Ever been on a plane, and you're really excited to take off, and as you're sitting on the plane, you're actually taxiing on the tarmac, and then you stop, and you get stuck for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, you ever had an hour or two hours? How do people do on that plane? Not so well. They hate being stuck. Ever been in an airport? I think many of us could say yes to this. And you're about to go somewhere and something happens. You get stuck at the airport. Did anyone get stuck this winter in a car or trying to get their car out? Has anyone been stuck in any way? See, stuck is a reality we all experience. Sometimes in spring when you're walking, if you're in a really muddy place and you get your boots on and your boots get stuck and they get sucked out, stuck can be funny, stuck can be okay, Stuck can be confusing. Stuck actually can be terrifying. Stuck can become monotonous. Stuck is what God wants to remove in our community at this moment. Let me remind you what this series is about because this is a different series. Most times when pastors preach on promises, they either are beginning to unveil the known general promises of God or the specific ones for that community, or actually much of the time it's a celebration of the promises being fulfilled. But this series is unlike anything else. This series is about living in the middle when we've begun to experience the promises of God around us, but they are not yet completely fulfilled. And God wants to show up again. He is present here, and he wants, as we're walking in the middle, as, as we continue to see his promises unveiled here in our community, he wants to make sure that we do not get stuck, trapped, and not move where he wants us to go. So like I've said, this is Haggai chapter 2. And as I said last week, only two or three years ago I preached out of this book. And I never do this. But as we prayed and talked, we felt so compelled that this book is a book for us again in this season. Why Haggai? Simply because it is God's people walking in the middle of promises which have been partly fulfilled and yet not fully experienced. Why Haggai? Because in this book, God speaks into the middle of people's journeys, sets priorities right again, reminds his people of his faithfulness, and inspires them to keep going, and actually unsticks them in this time. Why Haggai and why actually for C4? Because the promises given in that time to God's people are the promises we right now need to hear, believe, and claim over C4. This is, a, like I said last week, like a series that is a, like a tailor-made suit for our community in this moment. Because as we've begun to see things we have never seen before, we are still far from the very end. Now, here's what begins at this moment. It's been seven weeks 
since Haggai showed up and spoke to the people of God. Seven weeks have passed between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And if you read the background, four weeks of work have now begun on the temple. Now God knowing the honest condition of his people, God knowing what was already stirring in the minds and the hearts of people, he shows up through Haggai and he speaks again. God intervenes to prevent a coming crisis. See, there was a coming predicament that was building upon the frustration that was everywhere only one month into God's major project. And this frustration was leading people astray. They were getting stuck in the middle of this new work. They were down. They were getting depressed. It was sort of despondency was beginning to spill over them. This old shadow was consuming the new burst of faith and obedience that God had given his people only a month and a half earlier. So God, always being a good father, a good dad, steps in to encourage, to spur on, and he does it very individually and communally, first to the leaders and then to the people. And he basically is going to say, do not get stuck, keep going. Now the question we should all be asking is this, why after only seven weeks of God speaking, a revival-like experience, the rebuilding of the temple, has something happened? Like what is shutting down this new work? Well, not one thing has happened Three things have happened to this whole people. Three major reasons are now preventing the ongoing work of God among his people. First, it's this. The people started to rebuild the temple. It was really hard work. It was not neat or tidy. It was a mess. All the preparatory work took longer than expected. They have to clear the site of rubble. God tells them to go to the mountains and bring down trees. I don't know if you've ever cut a tree down, but imagine hundreds or thousands of trees being harvested and being brought down. And then there's hundreds of thousands of pounds of old stone from the old temple that has to be redressed to rebuild the new temple. And I remind you, there is no Home Depot anywhere. There is no power tools anywhere. Oh, here's another thing. And they're all refugees and they have no money. They are frustrated because the work is so huge. It's like the image I told you before when I was a child and my mom told me to clean my room and I walked in my room and I was overwhelmed by the chaos of my room, which of course I had produced. But the point is this, I did not know where to start, so I didn't run, I just froze. The people of God got stuck in the middle of this major task. If that wasn't bad enough, something else happened. There was all these mandatory holidays. You go, that sounds like a good deal, I want that. See, what starts happening is the people of God start obeying God. So what happens? Well, they start, what? Not working on the Sabbath. So now you can't work on Saturdays. And then, not only do they start obeying the Sabbath laws, God also instituted great parties, all sorts of different festivals for them to celebrate, such as the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and most of them lasted seven days. Well, if you read Haggai chapter 2, verse 1, and you know the background, everything makes sense. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Well, that's October 17th, 520 B.C. You go, wow, okay, what's the deal? Well, guess what? That lands on the seventh day of the Feast of Trumpets. So God had not let the people of God work on Saturdays, and then in one month in, he makes them take seven days off to celebrate. Now, you may not know what that celebration is. It's also called the Feast of Booths. This is the celebrations Jews had to celebrate God coming through Moses and the, the exodus out of Egypt. 
And they all had to leave their homes, which is interesting because we heard last week they had paneled homes. And you had to live in a tent. It's like camping, not glamming. It's camping. And you had to build a tent out of palm trees. And you would be reminded as a family of the provision God had given you as you left Egypt. This was a reminder of God's sustaining work during the first exodus and a reminder that God would keep doing it. So I want you to watch this this morning. Seven weeks ago, God shows up and speaks by the Holy Spirit through Haggai. Seven weeks ago, like we found out last week, God literally empowers every person and they begin to work in a way they have not since Ezra and Nehemiah. They spend two weeks getting organized, three weeks of work, then a seven-day spiritual retreat everyone has to go on, and then they cannot even work on Saturdays. All these breaks, they're saying, I can't even work on Saturdays, and then a seven-day retreat, and then we can't even find resources. I'm done. I'm just done. This is what Haggai is told to say to the people. Verse 2, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shetal, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them this. Now, I want you to notice this. God specifically tells him to go first to the leaders and then to the people. He goes to the governor, to the high priest, and then also to the whole community. And he does this, very interesting, don't miss this, miss this, on the seventh day of this religious festival. And not only does he do it on the seventh day, he stands up in the middle of the broken down temple that was started during Ezra's time, and then this is what he cries out as the prophet. Who of you, who of you is left who saw this house, this temple in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem like nothing to you? See, God actually nails the real problem. All the holidays were a problem, and oh yes, all the work was a problem, but the major issue behind this is loss. It's grief. It's history. Godly, good history is actually stopping the godly, good work now in the present. Haggai cries out, were some of you here over 70 years ago did you see Solomon's temple in all of its glory? Did your parents or your grandparents or your aunts and uncles, did they tell you when you were sitting in Persia what this used to look like? Did they tell you about the day that God himself showed up? Look around. Haggai says, God knows our real thoughts. In your heart, you were saying, this is nothing. This is worthless. We've worked for a month, and it looks like nothing is taking place. This will never amount to anything. Here it is. We will never get back to what we had in the good old days. It was so big. It was so beautiful, so well-decorated, and the height of God's move was then. We had so much material, and then there was all the religious objects that David had given Solomon, and each one of them was intact, and they were consecrated. This is fruitless, Haggai. This is not worth it, Zerubbabel. Joshua, you're a priest. You should know better. God will never show up now like he did then. Each time we have Sabbath, ready? Each time we are supposed to celebrate, it brings up pain. Let's quit. Of course, they're reminded of 2 Chronicles 5. Here's the summary. When the work Solomon had done for the temple, the Lord was finished. He brought in the things of his father David, had dedicated the silver, the gold, all the furnishings. He placed them in the treasury of God's temple. 
King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel gathered about him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle they could not be recorded or counted. The temple of the Lord, it says at the end, was filled with God's very presence, a physical cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. And now they're sitting over 70 years later, hundreds of years after this event, and they're sitting in a rock pile, and God's people are saying, Solomon was there. Zerubbabel, no shot, but you're no Solomon. Wise, rich, all this money, skilled craftsmen, and oh, by the way, if you read the account, Solomon hired all these foreign workers, and they came and did much of the work. We're a bunch of refugees with nothing. How are we supposed to do the same thing? And I'm not even sure God's going to show up this time. So during this feast, during the recounting of God's profound past work in the Exodus, there is not comfort, there is only loss. Salt in the wound, slap in the face. It's like an emotional trigger that you, you just go into a tailspin you can't get out of. So let's settle for brokenness. Let's settle for the unmoving of God. Let's live with the obvious. Let, let's live with the secondary. Let's not get our hopes up. See, don't you overpromise and underdeliver. We'll never recover. It's not just the messiness of the work. It's not just the many religious gatherings. It's not just all the breaks. This is loss, grief, failure, and regret. Look at the verse one more time. How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? By the way, it's the same house. The last house and the same, this house are built on the same foundation. And yet now it is broken and burned beyond recognition. And though during Ezra's time they begin to rebuild it, it still is nothing like it was. It is not glorious. This is a temple in twofold condition. But what God is coming to say is, I will not allow you to be stuck. I will not allow my glory to be resisted. And I will not allow you not to have the promises I have given you. This house will be resurrected. God says, were you there? Were you there? Do you have the grand memories of what was? Well, I declare to you this morning, he says to that community, I, God, the God of angel armies, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I have decided because I have decided because I have decided that I'm going to do a new thing in your day, and this move will be greater than the last move, and it will ripple not into time, but into eternity itself. So Haggai says this, he looks Zerubbabel in the eyes and he says, Now you be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. You be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Promise one from last week is repeated again. Remember what we learned? I am with you is not a weak promise. It's not like God stands in the room with his hands crossed and says, well, I'm here. No, no. This promise was given during the wilderness wanderings to the people of God. What does it mean that God is actually with us? When God declares, I am with you, he means this. It is a promise that is nothing less than prolific. I will protect you, my promise. I will accompany you, my promise. I will fight for you. I will guide you. I will empower you. When I say I am with you, I'm not standing in the room. I'm changing the room. 
to each leader personally and to the whole people of God. God says, you be encouraged. You take heart. I am with you. And when God is truly with you and visits you, he fills every hole. He brings peace and he provides. People of God, be strong. By the way, be strong doesn't mean pull up your bootstraps. No, no, it's deeper than that. It is a frame of mind. If you really believe that God is really with you and you know that he's going to provide, then there will be a fire in your belly. There will be fervor and diligence that is not invented. The leaders and all the people must not be discouraged, must not get stuck. They must join hands and work. The responsibility of each leader and the responsibility of each person, the one, the whole, the communal and the individual, was to be strong and keep building. I am with you, declares the Lord. Verse 5. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Promise two from last week. My Holy Spirit's still with you, God says. His power, his guiding, his empowerment. It's like the Spirit of God rests among and above the people. And he says, is this not what I promised you the first time when I saved you? Remember, this is happening during this festival. And God specifically refers to the Egypt encounter. Why? He says, because when in that time, during this celebration, you're remembering that moment. I sent my spirit upon you. It has not changed. I have not changed. What was done there is happening now in this moment. My written word is given to you and it does not change. My Holy Spirit remains among you. He was with you in the past. He is with you in the present. I will sustain you. My very very abiding presence is with all of you, you personally leaders and all the people. And then he does it. A third promise, a third command. He says, so do not what? Fear. Don't fear. Don't fear all the external opposition. Don't fear unity issues. Don't fear the king back in Persia. Don't fear the lack of supplies. Don't look back and give up. Don't look around and get overwhelmed. I am with you. You must not be afraid to serve the Lord in this generation. I've preached this before. Let me do it again. We in our culture divide generations very quickly. I'm a Gen Xer. There are millennials. There are builders. There are baby boomers. You know, we're all different. We get along sort of depending on the day. But that's not what the Bible means by a generation. A generation means all those living in that moment. That is one generation. And God comes and says, in this generation, now, work and do what I've commanded. I've promised something. Take hold of it. It's what Haggai's good friend, Zechariah, the other prophet of the time, said. This famous verse, which I quoted last week. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, resources. Not by power, abilities. But by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That grand truth is true for them, and our God does not change, so it is true for us. Despite their distrust, despite their lack of faith, despite their lack of obedience, despite, despite all the massive amount of work to do, despite everything that was going on, produced by them and not produced by them, God says these words, everyone ready? Not by resources, and not by abilities, but by my spirit, you're going to do this. Well, the Lord's not done. He doesn't just declare his presence alone. He does not just promise his spirit alone. He does not only remove fear alone. Then he says, and just so you know, because I'm such a good dad, I'm going to give you all you need. 
The Lord now announces what he will give to the people. And by the way, never forget the name that God has chosen in this moment. He calls himself the Lord of angel armies, the one who has absolute authority and control over everything, including nations. Verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says, In a little while... I will once again, or once more, shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Basically, if you read the commentators, here's what's being read in Hebrew. God is sovereign over all nations. God will walk into any nation he wants and takes anything he wants. They will not be voluntary offerings. He is the Lord of angel armies. He is God and king and warrior. He will go to any nation and take anything he wants for his people so the promise he gets them is fulfilled. What you need, I will give. And by the way, anyone who resists me, don't even worry about it. I'm not dependent on you, God says. I'm not overcome by the pile that you're looking at. I'm not overcome by the resource issue. I'm not, I'm not going, oh my goodness, no, 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 no. I am the Lord Almighty. Watch me take what I want. Watch what I do in this season. For what I do in this season, future seasons will look back and sit in awe. A greater thing will happen now, this time, in this place. See, this is what God is saying. You are pining. You are looking back to one of the greatest moves of God in history. And you weep, and you want that former time, and you want to run and live in that former time. But God shows up in this season and says to his people, No, that season is over. The greater thing happens now. The past is not lesser, but it is now called past. Do not make that time and that work an idol, God says, that you cling to and makes you stuck in the now. I'm going to build this house now. I'm going to guard this house now. You will have peace now because I have promised it to you. Did it happen? Oh, yes, it did. Within four years, these refugees rebuilt the temple. Isn't that amazing? From this moment forward, in four years, these refugees rebuilt the temple. And not only that, this is the grounds and the foundation that later, under Jesus' time, Herod would fulfill and build the temple out even more. This temple is the temple where God's glory came again. Now, last time I preached this, and if you want to go hear this, go listen to this message from a few years ago. The absolute outworking of this is found in Jesus' death and resurrection, the splitting of the curtain, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then the birth of the church. The absolute outworking of this is what we're sitting in right now. But let me remind us this morning, and hear this this morning, and bring this home God declares to them in that moment what they needed to hear. He gives them a promise that is deeper, wider, and longer than any fear or any lost generational hopes. He says these words, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this presence house, ready, will be greater than the glory of Solomon's house. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. God says, kids, just want to tell you, Silver and gold, I got it. I'm going to provide. And in this season, in this generation, in this moment, with you as a bunch of refugees trying to start over, I'm just going to tell you that nothing in my history has been seen like this. 
What I'm about to do with you is greater than anything I did that you've read or heard about. This word, let me say it this way, this work will be more influential than any of my last works. So, God comes and he says, watch me do this, and he did it. See, four, as we always ask here, what is God saying to us? As we are living in the middle, and oh, we are, as we have been given very direct promises by God for this church in this region, since 2009 and even before, but forward, as we've begun to see wave after wave of new things take place, supernaturally, logistically, numerically among us, as this has begun, and yet there is a lot of rubble between here and what we've been promised, what is God whispering to us as a church this morning? What is God singing over our church this morning? What is God shouting this morning? What is God commanding this morning? What is God inviting our whole church to? Well, let me say this again. Let me repeat. Do you remember? One of the most significant things about being a follower of the true living God is remembrance. People that are thankful don't become bitter. Thankfulness is one of the greatest things that we get to be as a people of God. Thankful for God, his work, and what he's done. If you want to be inspired to be unstuck, you must look back to see how God has worked in your past. Because when you see it and God does not change, you'll be inspired to keep going. Is that true, anyone? Yet, in the moment of thankfulness is the greatest temptation of idolatry. For the greatest temptation for us who have been in significant, hear me please, significant seasons of God is to make those things the idol that stops God's work in you now. Like I said a few years ago, it could have been a camp experience or when you became a Christian or when you really understood the scriptures or you were part of this church or another church and there was such a period that you loved or were involved in and it was a genuine moment. But what we learn in this moment as we are reading through Haggai and understanding how to live among the promises of God without them being fully fulfilled is this. If you keep looking back and you do not listen for today, you will become stuck and you will want to live in a time that is over. You will want yesterday's manna, and yesterday's manna is rotten and gone. God is working now. And the way you continue to walk with God, keep in step with the Spirit, the way we as a whole church keep in step with the Spirit is we are thankful for the last season, but we are never consumed by the last season. We choose, no matter our age in this church, not to be afraid to serve the Lord in this day and in this generation. God says, oh, be thankful, do not be consumed. You want to live in the middle of the new promises I've given to C4? Good. Thank God continually for your own history, this church's history, my unique work in your life. But never, ever try swimming back there. You can never go back. Here's the second thing. You want to learn? Do we want to learn how to live in the middle? Here's how we do it. We again are reminded this week, God of heaven and earth is actually with us. This is the repeat of last week's promises. When God says, I am with you, he means it. When he says, I am with you, he says, I will send my spirit among you. But he adds something. He says, do not fear. Do not fear. God is in control and working out all of history. There's nothing that bypasses God that he is shocked by. 
Haggai is reminding them in his day, in their day, how God led them out of Egypt and how God orchestrated history and engineered the circumstances of history, allowing kingdoms to rise and fall so his purposes would be fulfilled. In light of this, he says to them in their day, you don't need to fear. And I declare to you this morning, as we have seen so many exciting things in this church, but we have so long to go, do not fear. God is with us. Let me repeat myself from last week. Some of you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's what you preacher leaders are supposed to say. That's what we pay the big, well, the bucks for. <laughs> God's with every Christian, you say. Right? God's with every church that follows him. And Jesus said he would never leave us or forsake us. And like I said last week, yes, but let me again preach this this morning. God in Haggai's time was not assuring the people of God about omnipresence, that he is everywhere. He was connecting his presence to the promise he had given them. He showed up and he said, I have asked you and promised you that my spirit will come as you build the temple. So I am with you in this season for that task to do the thing I have asked you. And commanded you to do. It is the same today. God is saying to us here now in March C4, I am with you for the task I have laid before this church. Do not be afraid or do not be fearful about the size of the task. Do not fear the number I have given the leaders. Do not fear your coming role, whatever it might be within my move. Don't fear. Don't fear the 10,000 number. Don't want, listen, I am going to provide everything. When I say something is going to happen, watch it happen. Do not fear. Do not be personally consumed by fear, and do not let fear spread across this church. Fear in the middle of promises kills faith. Now let me step back from the whole church, because I was not going to include this this week. And as I was praying, I was forced back here. I want to speak to some of you very personally for a moment. God is found not only among us, but in us if we're Christians. I preached this three years ago, and I'm going to do it again. Please, by the way, please listen. God is found in some of your broken temples. Are you discouraged? How often the church feels shattered. How seemingly fruitless and useless are efforts. How slow the progress is in community, in outreach, or our walk with Jesus. Do not fear, the Lord says to you this morning. I am with you. Your life, your family, your Christian walk, your work for Jesus sometimes feels more like a, a group of rocks than some amazing temple. You look around and the task is so big and all the work you've done trying to lead your family back to Jesus or all the praying or all the reading of your Bible or all the serving, it feels like so little is done or ever will be done. Many of us fall into the temptation personally of looking back to a time that was better and it's been swept away. You see no change in your coming future. As one of God's servants, I declare to you this morning, hear the word of God. This is what I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. My word, I'm still speaking. My spirit, his comfort, his presence, his empowerment. God says to many of you this morning, personally, I have not left you and I never will. Do not fear. God comes and says to our church, oh, be thankful for history. Don't make it an idol. This is how you live well in the middle. 
God comes to us in the middle and says, by the way, I am with you uniquely, personally, because I love you, but I am with you for the task that I have given you in this church. Do not fear. But here's where I must end. God says, I will shake the heavens once again. If there is one theme that has been continually given to this church, it is this, that God continually resonates and says to us that though his promises are being fulfilled but not fully fulfilled, he says these words, I am going to continue to send my Holy Spirit into this church in a way I never have. And we've already evidenced that in part. But these words, let me speak them over you this morning. I will shake all nations. What is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill C4 with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of angel armies. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the past or the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. How do you live in the middle with lots of rubble and yet lots of excitement all at the same time? God reminds us now, in these times, these words, I will supply my spirit to you, C4, continually. I will also prepare every leader this church will need for its coming future. Many leaders who are not even among us, both staff and also volunteers. I will give every spiritual gift needed to see my task accomplished. I will build the character of this church, and I will not relent until the character is ready to hold the power of my spirit in the gifts that are needed. I will provide the gift of faith for this church more and more. I will provide the money and the resources and the future for this church. Because you have asked, no, but because I have declared it so. And then in the middle of that, just be reminded this morning, in the middle of a greater coming of God is his presence, is his presence. As I've preached so many times before, and I just want to end by saying this again, C4 is just a church owned by Jesus. We're not better than any other church. We're just one of many of his children, one many of his outposts on this earth, spreading the kingdom come. But God has decided and has evidenced it already of a unique growing move in this church. And God says to us in the middle, do not fear, I am with you. Do not be consumed by the past and continually be open because the work that I've begun will be greater than has ever been experienced in the 30 years of this church's history. Do you believe it? Do you embrace it? Will you continue to walk in it? This is the word of the Lord living in the middle. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. O God of heaven and earth, King of kings, Lord of lords, sovereign, reigning ruler, that you have decided to know us personally is shocking. It is more shocking that you have sent your son, that you have died for us, that you have redeemed us, that you have bought us, that you sent your spirit. But not only that you promise us presence in the good and time and life and death, but even more in this season that you have decided to do something here. You've given us such a task and plan. And so my prayer as a leader among my friends is, O oh Lord, God of heaven and earth, over now the growing number of people who make this church their home, hear our prayer. Lord, Make us thankful.
for the great work you've done in our lives. Oh God, tear down the idol of history. Oh God, I again pray like I prayed last week, may each person personally know you are present, but also may we corporately know that you are with us. Help us not to fear. Lastly, Lord, I pray, because not by resources and not by abilities, but by the Spirit, we continually ask, Lord, because we are your temple, not this building, but we, that you would fill this church with the power, the presence, the holiness of God through the Spirit, character and gifts, that we would begin to see what happened in the book of Acts more and more. Oh God, we once again request the great power of the Holy Spirit. May the work of God now be far greater than anything we have seen so far in our journey as a church. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, who has started all these things.